0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org.
1: The scripture reading today is from Isaiah 61, 1-11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening up of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit. They may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double fortune. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Hey, everybody. So before uh, before I get into the sermon... um, Uh, Every year, for nine months of the year, uh, beginning this weekend, this year, we bring in a group of young adults freshly graduated from college, Uh, called Nashville Fellows, and uh, the Nashville Fellows program is a nine-month intensive program that involves, you know, theological deep dive uh, as well as uh, internships both in the church, uh, and they work specifically and serve specifically in our student ministries and our children's or CPC Kids ministries. Uh, and also, uh, you know, vocational uh, growth and development uh, in the workplace. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a robust program. Christ Prez uh, has the privilege of being part of it. Several of you are host families. But what I'd like to do right now is ask our five Nashville Fellows for this year to stand so we can acknowledge you, see who you are. And uh, so these are our Fellows. And uh, what I... What I wanna do is uh, I'm gonna reach out to uh, the worship planners and also to our uh, kids and student ministries folks to get each of you up here, uh, maybe to read the scriptures, you can introduce yourselves and such, but we really look forward to having you in our community this year, and we're just thrilled that you came to Nashville and you're gonna be part of our church family. So uh, welcome you all and uh, look forward to getting to know you better, thanks. Uh, and so uh, so now as we, uh, as we turn uh, toward the sermon in Isaiah, the Scripture we just heard, actually became, uh, you know, centuries later, Jesus' personal mission statement. It was actually, uh, if he had an inaugural speech uh, when he came out in public as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, this was it. The first few verses, uh, you know, if you go to the New Testament in the fourth chapter of Luke, you see Jesus taking the first few verses of this very passage to explain what his mission was. And he said, In the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, liberty for the oppressed. And so so last week we began uh, what will be a couple of weeks focusing on the way that God gives special attention to those that the Bible calls the poor. And last week the focus was chiefly on uh, material poverty and uh, economic poverty. If you weren't here for some reason, I want to encourage you to dial in uh, on the the internet or the podcast and, and listen into that because it's really important to our church as well because it's important to Jesus. But, but this week, we're, we're going to amplify the reality that everybody is actually also dealing with some form of poverty. If it's not material and economic, there's also emotional poverty, there's psychological poverty, there's a vocational poverty. Work can be very hard for people sometimes. There's spiritual poverty, which is why churches exist. And if you take a walk through Isaiah, if you take a walk, for that matter, through the life of Jesus Christ, whose very mission was to to dive into all the different forms of poverty and heal them, wherever there's human pain, wherever human pain can be found, God shows up. He gets in there, and he also says to the church, I want you to show up, and I want you to get in there also, and then I want you to bring it in. I want you to get out there, get in there, and bring as much pain into my church, which is where I show up, where I inhabit the praises of my people. Bring the pain in here, and then I'm going to do my thing over time. I'm going to heal. I'm going to heal people. And in, in uh, the 14th chapter of Luke, which is 10 chapters after his inaugural speech, Jesus tells a parable or a story of, of a great banquet. And he says, this is what my house, this is what I want my house to look like. This is what I want my family to look like. This is what I want the church to look like. And he says to his followers, I want you to go out and I want you to find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I want you to go find them. And I want you to compel them to come into my house and to sit at my table and to partake of my feast. I want you to compel them. In other words, I want you to make them belong. Do whatever you have to do to make people belong who are struggling in this tired world. That is how I want you, Jesus says, to make my Father's house full. The invitation list the, the top of the invitation list, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So um, so I want to unpack this thought through the vision of Isaiah uh, under under three headings uh, that go like this. There are ruins and they are everywhere. There's a giver of strength and that same giver is also a maker of beauty. So, so let's dive in. Let's start with this. Ruins are everywhere. It started all the way back at the beginning when God chose two people. Their names were Adam and Eve. And he chose those two people to be the representatives of the entire human race. And the reason why he chose those two people is that they did exactly what every single other human being would have done if we had been in Adam and Eve's place. They sought independence from God, They ate forbidden fruit. They brought wreckage and ruin into a perfect world. We would have done the same. That's why God chose them as our representatives. And what happened after that, after they ate forbidden fruit, is a curse came upon every person, every place, and everything. There's a curse on work. You know, God turns to Adam and says, your work from this point forward, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a grind, and Your, your forehead's going to sweat, and, and there's going to be weeds and thorns and thistles. It's going to be difficult. Every garden, every vocation, there's going to be very difficult, challenging, painful components to it. And that has played out. Did you know that Gallup came out with a survey just a few years ago that, that indicates that globally, those who work, those who have jobs, 85% of those who have jobs in the world say that their job is a struggle more than it is a joy. But then God turns to Eve and says, relationships are going to be cursed as well. It's going to start with you and your husband. You're going to try to connect, but it's, you're going to miss each other. Eye contact is going to start to be difficult because you're going to have this shame thing now that you have to deal with, and eye contact and shame, they don't go together. So you're going to have to work through that. Your nakedness is now exposed You're going to have to deal with that. And, 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 you know, starting with that, it, it led to more personal discord in the human race. Discord, estrangement, divorce, children and parents not getting along or seeing eye to eye. And then social problems developed out of that. Poverty, classism, racism, nationalism, outrage culture, all this stuff that we experience every day and process every day and try to navigate every day And then God turned to nature itself and says, I'm cursing nature as well because of what Adam and Eve did. And anybody today who is environmentally aware, you know that the climate change theory, it's really hard to argue with. Science is behind it. There is a clock, it's ticking, and the earth is eventually going to be uninhabitable, because of what we've done to it. If the sun doesn't flame out first, then the earth is gonna be uninhabitable because of us. And so Isaiah, what does he do about all this? He just, he gets honest. He gets honest, he feels an ache and he expresses it on the page. And and as he does that, in just 11 verses, he he paints a, a portrait of the human condition. Here's how he paints the human condition. It includes words like this, broken hearts, captivity, prison, vengeance, mourning, ashes, faint spirits, ancient ruins, devastations, ruined cities, shame, dishonor, boasting, robbery, wrong. Okay, so have you ever wondered why sad songs uh, draw us in? You know, at the peak of his career, peak of his career, Elton John, wrote this lyric, turn on those sad songs. Turn them on. Because sad songs say so much. They tell the truth about things. You know, Bob Dylan had his own version of that. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken everything is broken. You want to know why, why we sing sad songs in church? Because it would be a, an utter disservice to the people of God to only give you happy songs to sing because that's a dishonest expression of the human experience. Every person in here is feeling an ache. And maybe for some of you it's deeper down, but it's there. Everybody here is aching over something because that's part of what it means to be a human in this world. And so every time we sing a song of lament, like, like, like one of the songs we sang today that includes words like, all this pain, I wonder if I'll ever find my way, all this hurt, I wonder if what was lost will ever be found. These are honest statements about the human condition or, or other songs that we've sung in the past couple of weeks, come and mourn with me a while. Or this morning, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Or last week, darkness deepens, helpers fail, and comforts flee. Abide with me, Lord, abide with me. Or one of our favorites, O joy that seekest me through pain. Why do we sing these songs? Because it's the truth. And Jesus is the truth, which means that we need to be about the truth. You know, the worst thing that we can do is just shove the hard stuff under the rug and pretend everything's happy all the time. And the worst thing we can do is to tell our children that the little engine that could is a good story. Because everybody, in their own way, is a little engine that couldn't. You know, I got to be... Look, I've I've read that story to my kids and repented of it too, so (laughs) no shame on that, no shame on that, but... Take that book home and tell your kids it's wrong. This is actually no way to live. It it puts burdens and shame to say, you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You try hard enough to get up that hill. You work hard and you'll get there. You can be anything you can be. You can't. You can't. We can't. You know, this past week, Patty and I got to be part of, as well as many people in our church, Uh, A benefit for uh, an organization called Johnny and Friends was founded by a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata who has been uh, quadriplegic for 52 years. She's been in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the neck down, and she is one glorious human being. And she was doing a a development event, a fundraising event for, uh, um, you know, because they're trying to open up a branch of Johnny and Friends in Nashville, which is a ministry to people who are disabled and and who have special needs and and so on. And we're a church that really likes to lean in and gets to lean into that space. And so, um, so Johnny gets up and tells a little bit of her story. And she, she says, this is how every day for me starts, if I have slept at all the night before, I wake up and my hip is throbbing. Can you imagine a hip that won't work, a hip that you have not that's been immobilized for 52 years, and yet it still screams at you? I mean, that's not fair. I don't even get to use it, and it hurts like this. That's how she says. That's how I start every day. My hip is throbbing in excruciating pain, and then I depend on another human being to get me out of my bed and into my wheelchair to strip my pajamas off and wash me, to clean me after I go to the bathroom, to dress me, to brush my teeth, to feed me. And then she says, after 52 years, I still can't do this because I don't know how. I can't do this because I don't know how. I mean, it, it, it felt like a little bit of an echo of what Moses was saying to God when God said to Moses, this is your assignment I want you to speak truth to power. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He's holding them in captivity, just like in the context of Isaiah, Babylon is holding the Israelites, the Jews, the people of God in captivity. I want you, Moses, God says, to to, to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then I want you to be the preacher. I want you to be the pastor, the shepherd to this entire nation of people. And Moses says, I got a speech disability. You got the wrong guy. And we don't know if it was a stutter or, or, or what it was, but Moses had a speech impediment, and that's the person that God says, you're the prophet. You're the one I'm gonna work through. In the same way that, you know, Johnny and Friends has reached disabled and special needs community around the world, millions upon millions of people from a wheelchair only able to move from the neck up. You know, when we get honest like Johnny was, when we, when we admit we are the little engine that couldn't, you know, this, this lament, this ache we feel, this, this, and, and our ways of expressing the ache that we feel about whatever it is that's causing the ache, it's not because something is wrong with you. You ache because something is right with you. It is the fact that you are awakened to the reality that this world is damaged that everything is broken. Turn on the sad songs because the sad songs say so much. They say so much about relationships and work and and, and, and nature itself. Complaining is not the problem. Jesus complained. The Psalms are filled with complaining. What is the problem is when complaining becomes cynicism. Cynicism is when we allow our sadness to turn to hatred. When sadness, when it transitions, when lament transitions from sadness to hating the world that we live in, which is actually when stripped down to the bare bones is a beautiful world still. It's the world God created. It's glorious. Or when we start hating people, resenting people whose experience is better than ours or who put us in a place of hurt. Or when we start hating ourselves and shame takes over and we adopt the orphan mentality, when we forget who we belong to or hatred toward God, because he could have stopped this and he didn't. Now, for Isaiah, it's different. Lament, sadness, the ache is not a gateway to cynicism. For Isaiah, it's a gateway to hope. You know, Isaiah is telling us that for every sorrow, God has an answer for it. It's right here, where there's mourning, God brings in gladness. Where there's weakness, you know, God is going to make it strong as an oak. Where there's ruins, God's going to raise it up. Where there's oppression and injury, God is going to accomplish justice. You know, Johnny continued her speech, by the way, uh, and, and she said this. She said, I cannot do this, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then she went on and she said, this is how every single Christian person should start their day. I cannot do this, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There is a giver of strength. That's that's our second focus here. You remember, Jesus reads Isaiah in the synagogue. This is how he goes public. He says, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is how I'm going to be king. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to captives, to open prison doors for those who are bound, to provide comfort for all who mourn. This is my mission. This is my inaugural speech. Who's in? That's what he says. Now here, what Isaiah is saying is that, that, that this kind of care from Jesus Christ, his care is what will become our strength. Those who mourn in Zion... Verse 3 we'll be called oaks. Those who mourn will be called oaks. Sad people will be made strong. So the fall is coming. And what is the tree that stubbornly holds on to its leaves until the bitter end? It's the oak tree, right? Like if you got all these trees in your yard, but you've also got an oak. You're just sitting here, like everybody else's yard is cleared up, you know, by like mid-October, but you're still like early to mid-November waiting for your oak tree to drop its leaves because the oak is the strongest, sturdiest, most resilient of the trees. And Isaiah is saying there is a, a spiritual version of strong, sturdy, and resilient, and its name is joy, the joy that seeks you through pain. They, those that he refers to as the poor, those that he refers to as those in mourning, those who are feeling the ache, they shall rejoice in their lot, in their situation. What? It sounds strangely like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter five, where he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Then he goes on, because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope, hope does not disappoint. The Bible says this, you need your honest lament for, for joy to mean anything to you. For you to even notice your basis and your reason for joy, you have to have the lament as the contrast. You have to or else you won't know what you've got. But a spiritual oak, he goes on to say, will have everlasting joy. And then he goes on, Isaiah does, and he says, I, this is verse 10, I will greatly rejoice. Now, this is Isaiah talking. Now, remember, we've covered some of his story, some of his narrative. Who is Isaiah? Isaiah is the man that God reached out to and said, I want you to be the preacher that everybody hates. You're going to be the, one of the most brilliant poets and lyricists of all time. And there's not going to be a single person in your lifetime who shows one shred of appreciation. In fact, they're going to hate you. They're going to despise you. They're going to oppose you. They're going to falsely slander you. And eventually, they're going to kill you. They're going to take a saw and, 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 and saw you in half while you are awake. That's how his life ended. Because he followed the Lord's voice, and there was nobody else interested in following the Lord's voice. You know, God just says, do it for its own sake. No outcome-based ministry for you. Forget the metrics. There's not going to be any metrics. This is going to be excruciatingly hard, and you're going to be marvelously faithful, and that's, that's what it's going to be. He was also, by the way, an exile victim— <laughs> To add insult to injury, the very people who are rejecting him are in exile, but he's also in exile with them because they had rejected God. So he's got the worst of every world. You know, a lot like Peter in the New Testament, who'd been beaten, incarcerated, you know, thrown in prison repeatedly for his faith, for preaching the good news, he was crucified upside down because he didn't believe he was worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. Crucified. He says, I'm not worthy, so please turn my body upside down so it'll be different. And, and, and how does Peter describe his experience? Inexpressible joy filled with glory. You want to know what an oak looks like? It looks like joy that not only seeks us but finds us in our pain and changes us not after we get out of the pain, but in it. That's what tells the world there's something that believers in Jesus have that nobody else has access to. Hope. That's the strength of Christian witness according to Isaiah. The strength of Christian witness is how Christians do pain. Pain. Not with gritted, cynical teeth, but with two things, honest lament. You tell the truth about it. This sucks. It's a Christian word, y'all. It sucks. Joy. Those two things. Running mysteriously together. You know, Steve Brown says that whenever someone gets cancer or loses a job, a Christian also gets cancer and loses a job so the world can tell the difference. the great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his masterpiece, Spiritual Depression, said this, "'As we face the modern world "'with all its trouble and turmoil "'and with all its difficulties and sadness "'in a world where everything has gone sadly astray,' Christians should be standing as people characterized by a fundamental joy and certainty in spite of conditions, in spite of adversity. One of the marks of the early Christians was their joy in God as they lived in a hard world. The streets of Rome were deepest darkness. There was no medical care as we know it, no inoculations for children, no retirement benefits, no air conditioning, no refrigeration. But the early Christians living in that world, stood out because God gave them a gift from beyond that world. Overflowing acceptance through the cross, God's presence in their hearts, practical wisdom for daily life, and endless enjoyment of Him in heaven. Isn't that enough to make people happy? They thought so. wasn't just for them, you know. I was greeted at uh, the 8.30 service this morning by my friend Abby. Abby is 17 years old. She is nonverbal. She carries burdens. She grabs my hand. She grabs my wrist and then grabs my finger. I'm, I'm coming up here to preach and she's, uh uh You're going to be with me for a minute. She grabs my wrist and then she works down to my finger and she takes my finger to to point to a word in the title of her book that she's holding in her lap. First word, God. Second word, and then she picked up my finger, loves you this much. It's the title of her book. Each word. And then she took my finger and she put it on her own stomach. I said, "Yeah, Abby, that sounds about right. God loves you this much." And I told that story in the early service, and then her her dad came up to me afterwards and said, "Actually, when she points to her stomach, that means she wants her iPad." (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to still believe that she was saying to me what's so true. She belongs. You know, there's another, there's a married couple in our church with three children. All three of them have special needs. We run into them in public a lot. We see them here a lot. In every conversation, we walk away lifted because what they bring to the table is joy. Isn't that mysterious? Got a friend who's a black pastor in another part of Nashville, and his church is dying because of gentrification. People who have been multiple generation members of that church had to move out because it's too expensive to live in the neighborhood, but they still got this church property. And so some of them commute from 40 miles away and, and others have just kind of drifted away. It's a pretty common experience. And whenever I get together with them, I ask them the question, how are you doing? And he says to me, Scott, my brother from another mother, I am too blessed to be stressed. Sounds about right. A few days ago, I got a request in my email inbox from from one spouse saying that, you know, as you know, my spouse is nearing the end. This person's spouse has been diagnosed with a terminal cancer. We want you to do the funeral. We want you to do the memorial service. And uh, the last line read this way This is hard, but we want you to know that we have joy. The same week, I got a package from another pair of parents, another set of parents, a gift. And. Um, I open it up, and it's a long note, like five pages of handwritten note, and then a, a plaque. And the plaque says, all sad things come untrue. And the note said, this is the anniversary of our child's death. You know, there's a place in the Apostle Paul's writing where he says, the world is not worthy of certain people. The world is not worthy of the person who looks to the wreckage and says, All sad things come untrue. The world's not worthy of that. And yet God gives it to the world. This is how the Father wants his house to be filled. Let me personalize it. Do you have a mental illness? Do you have a broken heart? Do you have a terrifying diagnosis that you're dealing with? Are you unemployed? Are you terrified? You hate getting out of bed. We want you here. We want you to be our family. You are a gift. You're a treasure. You are an oak. You are from God for the display of His splendor. And for all of us, just think right now about the places where you live, where you work, where you play. Think about where there is identifiable pain out there. I want to ask you, as your pastor, to bring that pain here. Compel them if you must. I have a whole group of people that would love to be part of your life and part of your story. As we've got a Savior who says, I want you to make my Father's house full this way. Find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame and bring them in. And bring them to my table. Can we do that together? Can I ask everybody? One person who has pain. You've got a whole year to get them here. That's who we want. Forget the movers and shakers. Unless they have pain. Oh wait, all movers and shakers have pain. Don't forget anybody. Bring pain here. And let us come alongside you. Lastly, he's a maker of beauty. He makes beautiful things out of the dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. That's how the last chapter's been written. It's been sealed. Last two chapters of Revelation, it's right there. No more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things will have passed away. Everything will be made new. And they shall be called, as Isaiah says, oaks of righteousness. Not just a plain old oak, but an oak of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his Splendor in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he calls it salt, light, and a city. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. He's talking to the church. You're a city on a hill. Don't let the light of God in you be hidden. Don't let it be hidden. Be extroverted. Be out loud with what the Lord has done for you. Every opportunity you get. And then make my father's house full. So I'll tell you what that can look like. Uh, let's say in a work Situation. So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine named John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York City, uh, native of Australia. He became a U.S. citizen recently. By the way, those who become citizens appreciate America a lot more than those who didn't have to go through the process. I just want you to know that, like foreigners who've come here and become citizens. Ask them about America someday. If you're cynical about the nation in which you live, ask them, and then repent. It's a gift to live here. That's a sidebar. It's a rabbit trail. But the maker of beauty... John Tyson, back to John. His his job in his teen years and early 20s was, was a meatpacker. He worked for a meatpacking company. And somewhere along the way, he became a Christian and, and he kind of quietly let his colleagues know that. The word got back to the boss, and from that point forward, the boss started to bully him. Ah, you cleaned up your language. Ah, you don't demean women anymore. Ah, what's wrong with you? Oh, you met Jesus, I see. Ah, and bullied him. Every day, just made it his mission to make this newly, you know, adopted child of God miserable. And eventually John moved on. But but before he moved on, he said, look, as I read the scripture, what it says to me, even if I even if I'm in a hard situation, it says to me to keep my head down, to show respect, and to work as beautifully as I can as long as I'm here. And that's what he did never talked back, never punched anyone, used to get in fistfights, didn't anymore. And then he left. And he, was, he was essentially a picture of verse 10. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with jewels, as a garden sprouts up in spring, so the Lord your God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up through you. So John moves on. Later on, that, that old boss sought him out. The boss had become a... Follower of Christ as well. And he said, I, I'm glad I found you. I want to say two things. First, I'm sorry, because as we both know, I tried to break you and I couldn't. But secondly, I want to say thank you because eventually I realized that whatever it was that you had, whatever it was that was making you like that, I realized I needed it because I had pain. My life. And then there's the wedding imagery. Like, it doesn't stop in this life, you guys. It gets, it goes from strength to strength. As, as we look forward in history, to so the new heaven and the new earth, we realize that even things like marriage are never the point. They're never the destination. They're always a pointer. Like, whatever your best experience is on earth, it is a pointer to what's yet to come. You know, last night, I, I officiated a wedding in the homily, I told the couple, what I, what I tell every couple is I, I marry them, get lots of pictures, because it, it's not going to get any better than this. It's all downhill from here. And then I pause until I can see them looking like, did you say that? And, and then I say, no, I'm just kidding. This is what, you're looking at a caterpillar right now. And a caterpillar is beautiful. It's one of the most non-offensive creatures I've never seen a bride and a groom offended by each other on their wedding day. And so you're, you're kind of looking at a caterpillar right now. It's, it's copacetic, it's peaceful, you know, it's just like smooth and soft, kind of, love, kind of sweet, feel kind of sorry for it. <laughs> but this, this caterpillar in front of you, you know what God's gonna do. Like your marriage is like the cocoon years, but eventually it's gonna be a butterfly. It's gonna be gorgeous, unique, beautiful, planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor because of an everlasting covenant right here, sealed by the triune God. Jesus paid the cost of it. The Holy Spirit drove it into our hearts. The Father awaits with an inheritance, an unimaginable glory. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what glorious things God has in store for those who wait for him. Even this table here, it is designed to keep us hungry. You get one bite, and one sip, and that's it. Just enough to give you strength to get to seven days from now, where you can come back for one more bite and one more sip to give you strength for one more week. And then you come back again and again and again until it becomes a feast, a feast that, that, that makes cane prime taste like McDonald's and that makes Camus taste like vinegar. That's your future. That's it. So shall we eat and shall we drink? Let's just let that be the setup for the Lord's table. And uh, I'm gonna ask you to look at the screen with me Uh, in a minute. After I invite the elders and the servers forward, I just wanna remind us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the ache until glory and unexpressible joy is realized. And it's completion. This is a table for all who are weary and burdened and are looking to Jesus to give them rest. It's for all who have been baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have a place of belonging at any local church where the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace and truth of Jesus Christ are esteemed and rallied around. If that doesn't describe you, the last thing in the world we want to do is ask you to participate in something you don't believe in or that you're not sure about. And so we invite you to still stay with us and to make yourself at home as Christians have a family meal together. Feel free to observe, ask somebody questions, whatever you wanna do. There'll be men and women on either side for anybody who needs prayer, somebody to talk to. They'll be set up up front as well. So all those things being said, let's look at the screen together. Since we are redeemed by grace alone, this is from our catechism question of the month. Through Christ alone, we must or must we still do good works and obey God's word. Yes, so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God. And so that by our godly behavior, others may be one to Christ. And now let's go to the next screen, please. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, the gifts of God for the people of God. Come when your row is dismissed.